Hello everyone, I'm Deborah Germain Augustine, New Narrative's Membership Engagement Coordinator. The right to vote is a citizen's most powerful and sacred rights. For the youth, being given a chance to be a part of the decision-making that affects their future is an empowering one. In 2019, Malaysia's parliament agreed to lower the voting age from 21 to 18, a move that was supposed to be implemented by July this year. However, a few days ago, it was announced that this will be delayed and pushed to September 2022 instead. This led to speculation about an impending general election, which many think will be called once Malaysia's state of emergency is lifted in August. In response, Malaysian youths marched to parliament in protest on the 27th of March. On this episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches, I speak to Lim Weijet, one of the co-founders of the Malaysian United Democratic Alliance, Malaysia's first youth-driven political party, about his thoughts on this voting age controversy, the challenges the party has faced in getting registered, and the political climate for young politicians in Malaysia. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's an interview. Tell us a little about yourself, Wejet. Uh, you're a dispute resolution lawyer and the Secret- Secretary General of the National Human Rights Society of Malaysia. And now, you're not only one of the co-founders of the Malaysian United Democratic Alliance, or MUDA, but also one of the vice presidents of the party. What else should our listeners know about you? Well, as you indicated, uh, I am a dispute resolution lawyer for five years plus now. Um, uh, whilst I do commercial cases uh, most of the time, I'm also um, very much into um, human rights and public interest litigation. So I represented a number of cases on the right to vote, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, etc. Um, just to, to uh, let our listeners know that, you know, that uh, there is some kind of history of, of activism and, and, and um, advocacy on the part of human rights uh, from my end for the past four to five years before I joined uh, MUDA. Um, yeah, I think that's what you can know about me for, for the moment. I'm from Johor, uh, Moa specifically. Um, I have two brothers. Um, my mom's a teacher, my father's a financial officer. I, I was raised in a middle-class family. Um, I had interest in Malaysian politics um, when I was in pre-uni. Um, I actually wanted to become a doctor, but you know there was so much social injustices going on at that particular time that I felt that you know being a lawyer would probably allow me to make a little bit more change compared to you know a doctor. No offense to doctors out there. So, uh, yeah, here's where I am. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that, but that is still kind of a pivot, you know, from, from being a lawyer. And then even though you did do advocacy work as a lawyer, what made you decide to officially move into politics and to form a political party? Well, I initially did not want to. Um, the thing about politics in Malaysia, especially when you are an opposition politician, is that there are a lot of handicaps that come with it. You know, um, you know, client-wise or institutional relationships-wise, you know, they might not want to associate with somebody who is anti-establishment, so to speak. Um, 
so the reason why I felt that I needed to take that leap of faith, so to speak, to join politics is because um, there was, number one, some kind of disillusionment on my part in the um, NGO and civil society work that I'm doing. Uh, I, I no offense at all to NGOs and civil society activists out there. They are doing a great job. It's just that um, it's so frustrating that, you know, after statements upon statements and cases upon cases that we are doing, there doesn't seem to be any material change on a very structural level uh, in Malaysian democracy and governance. Um, so in other words, I felt that I wasn't moving the needle, so to speak. I mean, I was making noises, but uh, whether it has long-term positive effect, it, it remains to be seen. And I felt that politics is one of the vehicles in which it is the most effective and quickest way to make changes in a very fundamental way in Malaysia. And uh, the second reason being that, you know, politics in Malaysia is, is so rotten, I mean, um, across um, all parties. I mean, some more than others, no doubt. But uh, I felt that there was really a need for change and a breath of fresh air. And uh, when Sadiq last year mentioned about, you know, the idea of the formation of a party that is based upon youth and uh, based upon new politics and new ideals, um, I was interested. I was taken. Uh, I was taken in. Um, I attended meetings, and after meeting with like-minded people, um, who you know are from various backgrounds in business, in science, in government, and and they also collectively felt that there was something very wrong with the system that we are in, and there is something urgent that needs to be done to address that. And and forming a political party is one of those ways to address it. And so. It is all those factors combined that, you know, sort of push me to, to, to try out politics. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a full-fledged politician because I'm still a practicing lawyer. I'm still doing my NGO work. But, but gradually, as you move towards, you know, politics, um, when, when it takes up a lot of your time, then, then you know, you, you slowly get accustomed to it and you... And you you hope that you can bring some change. Uh, I don't know whether that will happen, but here and now. So you mentioned Syed Sadiq just now, and he was our former youth and sports minister who was Malaysia's youngest serving minister at just 25 years old. And so you said that he's the person who sort of brought you into MUDA or suggested, you know, that this might be something you're interested in. And MUDA is Malaysia's first youth-driven political party and political leadership in Malaysia is dominated by those well above the retirement age. You know, I think the average age of Malaysian lawmakers is around 55. So this formation is of this party is somewhat historic. Tell us, you know, a bit more about how MUDA was formed. Well, um, last year, um, you will know that the Sheraton move, which culminated in the fall of the Pakatan Harapan government. Um, so after that happened... Um, of course, Sadiq uh, was no longer a minister. Uh, he was, in fact, booted up from Bersatu. Uh, so he, he was kind of a lone wolf at that point in time. Uh, and the idea of forming a new political party based on youth, you know, sort of struck him and, and certain other like-minded people. He was, of course, you know, 
offered to join Pejuang, the political party uh, of the former Prime Minister, Tun Dr. Mahathir Mohamad, uh, which was ex uh, exclusively Malay Muslim, um, similar to Bersatu. Uh, I think that Sadiq at that point in time um, really felt that a multiracial front was the way to go moving ahead uh, political-wise. And he, he felt that he also needed to break away from, you know, his, his mentors, his seniors like Muhyiddin Yassin and Mahathir Muhammad, you know, no longer living in their shadows, so to speak. So he wanted a new kind of politics. So it is, it is those factors that um, drove him to set up the idea for the political party. Uh, initially, there was some kind of debate as to whether it should just be a movement, a, a movement of young, um, spirited uh, Malaysians seeking to make seeking to uh, make a change. But you know that's probably too nebulous a concept, and the political party is something more concrete moving forward, I suppose. So he gathered. Um, 30 or so um, like-minded individuals from various um, sectors from who have, you know, who are corporate titans, who have worked with underprivileged children for years, uh, who there are some who are modern uh, uh, farmers, uh, religious preachers, you know, uh, every, uh, everyone across the broad board. And um, we sort of gathered and we sort of trash it out as to whether a political party should be formed. In the end, we decided, yes, it should be formed. That is, you know, driven by youth who will fight for new politics in Malaysia. So that's where the idea of Muda culminated. Um, I have to say that our party is not officially and legally registered yet because of um, certain um, roadblocks so, um, so yeah, so at the moment, there is no registered political party, but, but uh, you know, we, we have moved forward um, as if a political party has been formed and we are just awaiting official registration. Uh, yeah, so that's where the idea of Muda culminated. Okay, and I, w I do want to come back to the Registrar of Societies, but, you know, I, it, you touched on how Said Sadiq came from Bersatu, which is a party that's branded as a champion for Indigenous Malay rights. And Malaysian political discourse tends to be preoccupied with identity, usually race and religion. Um, do you think that Muda is perpetuating identity politics by replacing race with age? Well, uh, not really. So, um, number one, uh, our party membership, if we are registered, uh, there's no limit to, to our membership. So, you can be 80 or 90 and you can still join MUDA. I don't think we are exclusively an age-based party. Um, however, we do feel the need for more younger representation in politics. And no doubt, the candidates that we feel will be generally of, of a younger age. Um, I think that uh, we are not perpetuating an ageist kind of um, culture because I think in the very first place, there is already a problem where youth are severely underrepresented in Malaysian politics anyway. You are, you are right to say that you know, the average age of an MP in Malaysia is probably 50 and above. We've absolutely 
you know, almost no representation of those between 20 to 30. Um, and therefore, their interests are not, you know, being taken care of. So it, it does justify the need for a youth-centric um, political party. Um, because unlike the identity politics when it comes to race and religion, I mean, there is already a domination of that and, and uh, more of that will probably be toxic in Malaysia. But the, the flip side to it, and, and when it comes to the age-wise, there is a severe underrepresentation, and therefore I feel that you know it, it justifies the youth-centric party like Muda. But we are not only bringing, or they're not only trying to bring more younger politicians into power, but also a new brand of politics. And when I talk about a new brand of politics, I mean a politics that is not based on personality, uh, like we have seen, you know, infesting the established political parties now. Uh, politics that is not based on, you know, animosity or, or trying to get back at each other due to historical baggage that we are seeing uh, plaguing the established political parties now um, because the old actors are still there from decades ago. Uh, so there's a lot of baggage in the past that is it's still being tried to, to be ironed out uh, as, as we see political developments unfold. So we want to move past that. We want to bring a new kind of politics. So yeah, you know, it's not only age, but a new kind of politics that we are trying to push forward. Right. And, and you did talk about how there's a very diverse range of people that Said Sadiq has approached. You know, it, you said modern farmers, people who've worked in the corporate world and that kind of thing. Um, but why is it better to unite around age than class? Because uh, I think age is something, it, it, it is a marker. Uh, it is an identifying um, kind of force uh, which we feel we are able to harness. Um, and also the fact that uh, there are, there is an underrepresentation of youth that I mentioned. Um, no doubt class is something that is very interesting. Uh, we do want to champion the kind of social inequalities that are happening now. Uh, I will not pretend to say that we are a party that uh, is based on, you know, class or fighting for the, for the underrepresented solely, but, but one of our core pillars is um, human dignity, which is to fight for the underprivileged children and those who are, you know, who, f who are falling through the cracks in our economic system. So that is something that we will champion, um, but we are not branded as such. Uh, I hope that answers your question. Yes, thank you. Let's let's go back a little bit to the, the issue of registration. So you mentioned one of the obstacles that Muda faces is that your application to register as a political party has been rejected by the Registrar of Societies. And as you mentioned, the Registrar of Societies is a statutory body under the purview of the Home Ministry. And some, you know, there's some reports that allege this is a move by the current ruling coalition, Perikata National, to prevent your party from participating in the next general election. Can you elaborate on the grounds of the rejection? Well, the, the official grounds of the rejection is that um, our, our party's constitution allegedly has not complied with the 
provisions in the Societies Act, um, which we find you know unreasonable and unacceptable. Um, that's why we have appealed. We have appealed and we have attached an amendment to our constitution so as to comply with the alleged non-compliance. Um, so insofar as, well, as, as Muda is concerned, we have rectified whatever deficiencies that AROS has pointed out. And now it's on appeal to the minister. Uh, the minister says, uh, well, the ROS is saying that um, you know, we need to run through a few security clearances on some of the founders of Buddha, and that is why it is taking some time. Uh, but I do think that the, the, that the real reason is, is, of course, the fact that, you know, they are probably afraid of Muda, and that is why they would not want Muda to break into the political scene. Uh, the, the same way that they are probably afraid of Pajuang, you know, Ton Mahdi's party, because they are also in the same predicament as us. They are also not being registered. Purikata National, the, the Prime Minister and the Minister of Home Affairs Coalition, got registered within three days. You know, we, we, our initial decision took several months and now on appeal is taking more than a month already. So, so why is there such double standards? You, know, you have to ask yourself. I don't think the answer is very clear. And do you have any timeline on when this appeal will be either approved or rejected again? Well, so last week we have issued a letter to the Home Minister to say that, you know, if you have, if you have not reached a decision within seven days, then we have no choice but to take you to court to uh, ask for an order for the Minister to, to make a decision on the appeal. Um, so we have to resort to that because they are just, you know, not budging at all. So we are going to file a court action quite soon, uh, considering that the minister, you know, has not even responded to our letter. So a court action will be coming soon. Okay, that's, uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye out on that. So can you share with us what this experience has been like for the team behind Muda, you know, um, forming the party and then finding this obstacle? Well, it's very frustrating um, because if you don't have a political, an official registered political party, um, when it comes to elections, you can't put your party logo or symbol for people to choose, you know. So you assign a random, you know, bicycle or key or tree symbol, which definitely is not going to benefit the party. So it is frustrating on that end, um, but uh, we, are, we are still moving ahead. Um, the political scene is very challenging, uh, but you know we, we we have to you know enter into talks with other political parties to see how we can move ahead. So it's a very steep learning curve for us. Uh, we are only very young, um, but we are learning along the way, and, and we it's very hopeful because there's a lot of traction and support. I mean, both on social media on the ground or, or towards Muda. Okay. And, and, you know, speaking of delays, we also have recently the Elections Commission announced that the implementation of lowering the voting age to 18 and automatic voter registration has been postponed to September 2022. So the reasons they've cited are the COVID-19 pandemic, Malaysia's, Malaysia's movement control order and the state of emergency in the country as the reasons for this delay. And so currently the legal voting age in Malaysia is 21. So that must have been very difficult news as well for many young potential voters. They're part of the demographic you'll be re representing. What was it like for Muda when you heard the announcement and about this delay? 
I mean, I think we expected it, um, but we were still very disappointed and angry at it. Um, but it's but the reasons given are, are totally unreasonable. We have had the movement control order and the pandemic for a year plus. You know, you, you can't use that as an excuse for everything. And um, registering, allowing 18-year-olds to 20-year-olds as, as voters um, can be done very simply because uh, the National Registration Department has already all the records of every citizen in Malaysia. There's just a need to tally with the National Registration Department. Why is there a need to fall? It's already been two years since the constitutional amendment was passed. Why do you even need two years to, to bring that into effect? And I think that the reason that the EC is probably delaying this is because they are they assume that automatic voter registration, which you know may be a bit more logistically complicated, needs to be you know gazetted at the same time as UD18, which is not the case. You know, you can allow 18 to 20 year olds to register voters first by July this year, as promised. And you know, automatic voter registration, which may be you know more technically complicated, can you know take place in 2022. So there's no need to, for both to be done concurrently. And I think that's the, the EC is trying to very conveniently use the automatic voter registration excuse to also delay UNDI 18 from, from my point of view. So all in all, yes, we are very disappointed, but you know, we, we will be also taking legal action and, and, and pursuing this through other avenues uh, moving ahead. And you mentioned anger, and that was, I think, palpable this last weekend when, in response to this delay, around 100 young people marched toward the parliament in protest, led by Muda Secretary General Amir Abdul Hadi. He is one of 11 protesters who were subsequently called in for questioning by the police. What can you tell us about that situation? Well, um, it's, to me, it's just uh, an act to intimidate the protesters. Uh, we, th there is a, a freedom of assembly in Malaysia, obviously. But beyond that, you know, these people out there are trying to voice their dissatisfaction that 1.2 million voters may not be able to vote in the next general election. The police should you know, facilitate the freedom to assemble. And these people should be lauded upon for, for standing up for people's rights. And I don't think that the authorities should, you know, should clamp down on this kind of protest. Um, I, I would urge the authorities to, you know, focus their, their time and energy on more important causes out there rather than a protest at parliament, which you know, as, as far as we are concerned, has complied with all physical distancing and, and masking uh, measures anyway. So, you know, they should just stop investigating us and focus on the bigger picture. And, I mean, you know, in Malaysia, 18-year-olds can legally drive, get married, are considered old enough to join the army. Um, however, there were some politicians who argued that 18-year-olds are not mature enough to make such an important political decision. And even Muda's president, Said Sadiq, has been heckled by older and more senior ministers in the past, with some even calling him a child. So in light of this kind of you know, discourse, do you think senior politicians in Malaysia are ready to work alongside their younger counterparts? Well, well first of all, I just want to make the point that 
when the constitutional amendment to lower the voting age to 18 was done in 2019, it received unanimous support from all sides of the political divide. So it's very hypocritical for some politicians now, including Hadi Awang, the president of the past, to suddenly say that, oh, 18-year-olds are not mature now and they should not allow to vote. Then why on earth did you vote in favor of only 18 in 2019 then? So it just goes to show the hypocrisy at some politicians and how they would, you know, they, 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 they justify their actions, you know, according to the situation. It's just so frustrating that this is happening. And coupled with the fact that you know, these are the same people and party that on one hand say that when 18-year-old voters are not mature and therefore they should not vote, but have no qualms for child marriages to happen in Malaysia, you know, for 16, 17-year-old kids to get married and suddenly assume that they are mature to enter into a relationship that will last a lifetime. So it is that kind of hypocrisy that makes me very, very mad so on your question directly your question on, on how should young younger how do these older politicians work with younger politicians i think if you look at the political parties out there insofar as amno and perjuang and the opposition political parties are concerned they are all in support of only 18. so i really don't see a big problem uh, for older politicians to work with younger politicians moving ahead. Um, but I will just say this, you know, the best way, the best thing that older politicians can do is to retire and make way for certain younger politicians to take their place. That would be their greatest gift to this nation. Okay, um, some strong words there. And, you know, I'll, I'll, you had alluded to this earlier, but our political system is dominated by the same politicians who've been around for many years. And as you said, they have sometimes historical baggage that they're hashing out at the national stage. How do you gain the confidence of older voters who may be apprehensive to vote for young politicians who don't have maybe as much experience in politics? Well, less experience may not be a bad thing because, you know, it means that there's lesser experience with corruption or you know, the abuses of power that are, that come with many certain positions and many political parties out there. So uh, our message should be that, look, these are a bunch of fresh, idealistic faces who, yes, they may not be experienced politically, but, you know, they are established in their own careers, you know, they are successful corporate people, professionals, people who are versed in agricultural skills and the underprivileged and, and know the pulse of the people. And, and these are fresh faces that you should try to vote, you know, instead of voting for the same faces all over, over again, which are responsible for the mess that we are in right now. So we are offering a change and, and that change to me uh, is a selling point uh, rather than something uh, of a handicap. Right. I think that, yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I mean, more generally in Malaysia, students are generally not encouraged to talk about politics in school, in universities, and people still say Malaysian youth are not ready for political participation. What do you think needs to change in terms of political education in schools, especially as we will see a large number of younger voters join 
the electoral rules in the near or distant future? I think number one, uh, the, the first point I want to make is that the constitutional amendment was passed in 2019. We have had two years to try to, you know, educate the students and undergraduates in Malaysia on the political system. Uh, I think that the role lies in the government and the teachers out there to, to instill civic consciousness and uh, the ability to think critically, to not just accept, you know, statements made by politicians uh, just like that. Um, but I think that number two, it's really a chicken and egg thing. You know, until people are able to vote, they will not have the incentive and impetus to to learn about the political system. So, yeah, you know, it takes time. You know, sure, the first batch of eighteen to twenty year olds may be, you know, uh, may not be experienced or not be exposed fully on the political dynamics of our country. But as we move along people will gradually get used to it. And, and, and a 15, 16 year old in school, when it comes to, you know, 10 years down the road, he would already know that he or she will be able to vote in one or two years time. And their parents will also impress upon them that they are able to vote. And, you know, they will probably be inquisitive to know what the political system anyway. So in other words, you know, you have to start somewhere and let that kind of um, experience built up across the generations. And um, number, th number three, to me, um, it is a constitutional right. You know, it doesn't matter whether you are politically literate or not. Uh, a 60, 70 year old person, who's to say that they are also politically literate and able to discern right from wrong or to believe fact from fiction compared to an 18 year old. So, Political literacy is not a prerequisite for you to be able to vote. So it really shouldn't matter uh, whether they are ready or not. I mean, that's, that to me is, is my take on the matter. Right. And uh, I just have two more questions for you. Um, what are your hopes for the future of youth political participation? Uh, I, I would hope that youth are more aware that politics is not some you know dirty arena or or something that is beneath them that they should not care about because every political decision that is made affects their lives in a very fundamental way you know be it on a social economic or financial level and i, I hope that they will be more interested in political developments in the country i think that there is some kind of um gap between you know what the 18 and 19 year olds uh, are exposed to and are interested in and i think that we need to remedy that to to let them know that you know it's something that is so important and fundamental in our way of life that you have to pay the utmost attention to and number two for them to be actively involved in, in, in a political party that you know aligns to their beliefs and ideals uh, I think that in most developed societies, um, most uh, young people out there are aligned to a certain political party. I think it's important uh, for them to to be involved in, in that sense. Uh, yeah, that's my hope for, for the youth in Malaysia. Okay, great. And on a broader note, what is your vision for Malaysia? I think that my vision for Malaysia is for 
a Malaysia that is um, progressive, that is able to adapt to the very fast changing um, economy and digital environment that we are facing in the next decade or so. Um, why do I say this? Uh, number one, I see that there is tremendous racial and religious tension nowadays. And, you know, as a minority, coming from a minority race myself, it is very concerning. And I, and I do hope for Malaysia where our differences, you know, should not be a wall, but should be, should be a bridge for us to, to learn and to respect uh, one another. Uh, Malaysia is immensely fortunate to be in, to be the nexus of, you know, civilizations from from China and India, and 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 there's so much to learn from each other. I, I feel that you know everyone should learn Mandarin and Tamil in school, and and Malaysians will be ready to take on the world. You know, we we are versed in English, we are versed in Malay, we are versed in either Mandarin or Tamil. You know, there's so much opportunity for Malaysia that is just wasted through decades of mismanagement. Um, and in the economic front, I'm really very concerned that countries like Indonesia and Vietnam and our peers in the region are already starting to you know, leap above us. And, and Malaysia is starting to become that sick old man of Southeast Asia. And, and, and we have to have a very robust economic and education framework to bring Malaysia to the next level, to the, to the first world uh, nation status that we wanted to become in 2020. And I think that the more we languish in this kind of um, old politics and politics of, you know, uh, of race and religion, we are going to be left far behind compared to our peers one day. And that will be the greatest uh, shame uh, uh, to me. And that's what I don't want to happen. That's what I don't want my children to go through. And that is why I, I joined politics today. Well, with that um, as our last note, thank you very much, Wejet, for joining us on Southeast Asia Dispatches today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our thanks to Wejet for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Deborah wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!